Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Hey, thanks for joining us for another edition of Impactability, coming to you from Planet Philanthropy 2022. And on this episode, we're going to be talking all about the CFRE. Our guest is Alexa Salm. She is the Chief Executive Officer at Shore Community Services in Skokie, Illinois. That's a $7 million community-based organization serving over 400 individuals with moderate to severe intellectual developmental disabilities, and thank you for that. She was an adjunct professor at North Park University in Chicago. She's been in the nonprofit fundraising field for many years. Alexis, thank you for joining us today on Impactability. My pleasure, Joe. Let's talk about the CFRE. What is the CFRE certification? I mean, what does it all mean? CFRE stands for Certified Fundraising Executive. Mm -hmm. It is the only certification worldwide for fundraisers. Mm -hmm. So why should I get the certification if I'm a fundraiser? Well, you know, certifications are important in every profession. I mean, no one would ask, why would somebody want a CPA if they're an accountant? Yeah. It is a demonstration that you have achieved a certain level of excellence in the areas of your expertise. So it lets other people know that one, you take your career seriously, two, you have a certain baseline of experience and expertise, and three, you are knowledgeable about what the best practices are and expectations in your profession. Yeah, absolutely. So how long does it usually take to get the certification? It depends on the person. That's the thing. It's very unique. So mm-hmm. everyone has a different set of background. And so the exam covers, I believe, it's five areas. And one may have a lot of strengths in three and not so much in two. Another may have experience in one, mm-hmm. has to work on the other four. So the process is set so that it can be individualized for each person, what your role may take to be a CFRE. Mm-hmm. But for most, it's about a two to three month process okay. to you- prepare and also the application process itself to fill it in and show that you have the number of hours in volunteer and continuing education as well as certain accomplishments that you've done in the field that you can document so that then you're you become ready to sit for the exam and the exam is a four-hour exam mm, wow. with yes it has 200 questions only 175 that actually go towards your score because 25 uh, of the questions are test questions we're always writing questions to be up to date with technology with best practices and those are new questions that are being tested and evaluated so you have 200 questions 175 of them count you don't know which one those are when you're taking the exam i see so it, it is a very rigorous exam the exam is certified by ANSI, ansi that certifies exams to say yes this is a fair exam this exam meets the expectations of any 
national, international expertise mm -hmm. in a field exam. Gotcha. And so there's a high criteria of things that we must do to keep the certification of our certification exam. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's kind of like colleges and their accreditation. Exactly. Same kind it's of the exact same thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what if I don't do so good on tests? Can you help me out? Right, yes. <laughs> this is a good, good point, uh, Joe. To be frankly honest with you, I was never good at tests. Right. I was a person that would freeze up, and even the name line, I would be, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> so, you know, exams, I totally went blank. And I think the key is find out what you need to feel comfortable and get in touch with what do you feel is so uncomfortable about taking exams. And one of the things for me I noticed over the years is that I learn differently gotcha. from other people. So I knew I wouldn't benefit necessarily from having a study group. Most people feel better in a study group. Okay. And there are a number of study groups, and I recommend that. I, I was going to say, that, that would be help, that would be extremely it's helpful. extremely helpful. There's a number of, of those available, and that really helps. For me, it didn't because I was one of those people when we go to a training, the hard part that everyone else, they would find easy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the part that I found easy, everybody else went with a lot of studies. So it was like, so I if we all have our specialty, we're all going to do pretty well. And so find the preparation path mm -hmm. that works for you because there are a lot of them out there. And over the years, I, I obtained my CFRE in 2008, but there's been a number of things that we've added to help in that process. Mm, and of okay. course, our partnership with AFP, because they have a CFRE prep course that's really rigorous, and I took that course as well. Mm -hmm. But preparation, um, the exam is very fair. We work very hard to make sure that there's no trick questions, right. no things that are ambiguous or anything in the questions. They're very crystal clear. We work and review and study the questions and make sure that they are crystal clear. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about that. And I think just planning so that you can spend the time in the areas that you're not maybe as strong on, and then that's time on areas that you feel more confident yeah. about. Yeah. So I think addressing those things, talking with others who have, who have attained the CFRE, any suggestions and things that they can give in the preparation for the exam. Mm -hmm. But it's really going through that preparation process and setting it up for you. We have in there that it's on average people prepare 30 to 50 hours. Wow. I you know, was very nervous because I was a bad test taker from my past and I hadn't taken a test in 30, <laughs> right. in 30 years since college. So I said, let me add a zero on there. Okay, so I over, overstudied. Nothing wrong with that. However, I found that the time I spent preparing for the exam, I was learning information that I could apply in my work right then, mm -hmm. that day. So there's really no such thing as over-preparing for it. It's going to build your confidence. And so this exam is going to be a lot different. It is long. It is rigorous. But much of it you do know. Some things that you don't, that you have so many tools that are available. You go on the CFRE website, cfre.org, mm -hmm. and there's a, a whole lot of tools available to you, study groups. They now have a really set of, cool set of lash cards. I made my own the old-fashioned way on three-by-five cards. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of ways to feel more confident about it and a lot of resources 
to deal with that test anxiety because they're not alone and there are many of us 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years out of college that haven't set for an exam that we can address all of those, help you address all of those things, those emotional, psychological Mm -hmm. things, as well as the knowledge base. Yeah, yeah. We're talking with Alexis Ohm about the CFRE. If you're not certified, maybe you should look into this. If you are, maybe there's some new things happening and you just kind of take it for granted. We hope not because it's a lot of things that the CFRE can help you with and can and continue to improve your career as a fundraiser. We're going to take a short pause. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Alexis on the CFRE. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. We'll be right back. Major gifts are the ultimate source of funding for nonprofits. They can help fulfill your mission and achieve your vision. Having a strong major gifts program should be a priority, but where do you begin? The best place to start is with Sukup Strategic Solutions. We create transformational change by working collaboratively to raise funds. Our fundraising consultants will assess your organization's fundraising capacity and develop a plan that serves as a blueprint for your fundraising success. Visit our website today at SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation today. That's S-O-U-K-U-P, SukupStrategicSolutions.com. When it comes to major gifts, the effort you put in can make all the difference, and Sukup Strategic Solutions can help. Welcome back to Impactability. We're talking about the CFRE. We are at Planet Philanthropy, by the way been a fantastic conference this year here in Tampa, Florida. So those of you that didn't have a chance to make it out, anytime the FP is doing a conference, you definitely need to go. Now, our conversation, as I said, is about the CFRE. Alexis Alm is our guest, and we're talking all about it. And from a nonprofit organization's perspective, Alexis, why should I hire someone who has the CFRE certification? It's like in any other profession. You have some evidence of their base set of knowledge and that they have an awareness of the best practices in fundraising and in that profession and that they have a certain skill level and that establishes that and and so if that that allows that interviewer or that organization to go okay we can start from here because we know that baseline is good everything else built off of that Mm. it's like if you you know build a house on a a faulty foundation it's all going to fall down but if you know you got a strong foundation everything you build on top of that is going to get better and better now some may need to keep building on their house but you know wherever they are in their career they're building on a solid foundation mm-hmm. so let me ask you this you, you bring to mind something else i'm thinking if i've had my cfre certification for a while are there things that the cfre can offer me to kind of keep me sharp absolutely as in with any professional certification you have to do continuing education. That was my question, yeah. This recertification process, a lot of people think, oh, I gotta take that exam again, shoot. No, <laughs> you do not. You're just required to take a certain amount of points of continuing education. Mm-hmm. And that's really to keep you aware. I mean, we could just talk about social media and the, and the internet and all that. It's changing all the time. So we want to show that our profession is keeping up with those things. So that requirement for continuing education, and then you resubmit your application. There is a smaller fee than what you paid to take the exam to maintain your certification. And that way it's shown, like with any, again, any professions, CPA, 
even if a medical doctor, there's things they have to continue to do because technology keeps changing. And you want to know that someone is keeping up with that. You don't yeah. want someone with five years ago knowledge base. We want to know that they're constantly learning. Yeah. And that helps to keep you on that track. And it shows that. So if yeah. you had your CFRE, as I have, I've had it since um, 2008, that I've had to make an effort to do that. It also, is another thing, encourages people to give back to the profession. Right. So you get points for taking CEUs, but you get way more points for presenting. I presented here at Planet Philanthropy. You get more points for when you write an article, you create information, or you write a book, because they want those people to be the leaders and the pace setters for everyone coming behind them. So you then become on the track to give back to the profession all that you have gained and learned over yeah. those years. Yeah, so what if someone is just starting out in their fundraising career? Should they wait a little while before they start digging into to the CFRE certification? No, I actually think they could start thinking about it right away. Really? It okay. used to be years ago, it was something that people thought you had to have 10 years or the yeah, whole yeah, long, exactly. you, know, you got to have a few gray hairs to take the CFRE, and that is absolutely not true. Mm -hmm. Now, in fact, we had lowered the requirement, I think about four or five years ago, that it only requires three years experience. So the application process does take a little time because you've got to accumulate the CEUs, you've got to uh, accumulate the taking uh, and being involved in the community and volunteer work. So there, you could start that application the day after you graduate from college. And, and in fact, you can, you don't have to have a bachelor's degree to sit for the CFRE. It's going to be a lot based on your experience and your CEUs. So that gives everyone who wants to be in this profession, who is excited about being here, that they can still get the credentials that shows unequivocally that they are an expert and a growing expert because we all never know it all. We're yep. constantly learning. But that they have that, even if they decide mid-career, I'm going to switch and become a fundraiser. This still allows them to build off of whatever their other experience was and then start that preparation process. Gotcha. So one final question. What does having the CFRE certification mean to you? Well, for me, and I think many fundraisers have run into this, and particularly if they're earlier in their career, everyone thinks they can fundraise. They say, well, wait a minute, I had a uh, bake sale for the PTA, so I know fundraising. And you have a lot of board members. I think there's, everybody has an idea. It differentiates your ideas or your strategies from everyone else's because yours is based on best practices, or as I use now because best practices are so obvious. I call it success practices. Success, yeah. I want to do the things that were successful for other people. If you have a limited resource, where do you want to put it? Where it's proven to be successful or where it's unproven territory? You don't want to take that risk. It's just like with your own money. Would you invest it in something that has a proven success rate or something that has nothing there to tell you that? That gives, it separates it, and then it cuts the argument. When board members want to do a certain thing, you can say, well, wait a minute. Here is based upon what the experts in our profession have proven to be successful. Do we want to be on that path or an unknown path? So that's one thing. The other thing, I asked a donor once, 
do you know what all those letters after my name means? And he said, I don't know what that stands for, but I know it means you know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's what that means. And so donors, particularly um, high net worth donors, um, they're used to dealing with a lawyer that's got letters behind his name, mm -hmm. an accountant that has letters behind his name, they're a financial planner that has letters behind his name. So when you're the fundraiser that's a part of their estate planning, where's your letters after the name? And with the letters after my name, I've earned the right to be in that room with all the top people for that high net worth individual's estate planning. And that establishes that. So if you want to be in that realm, and let's face it, the major gift fundraisers have the highest salaries. They have the more successful careers. That's a great part of it, though you can be in any field in fundraising and do very well, even if you're, you know, if you're a database manager, if you love doing events, anything that you're doing. But it, it establishes you as an expert and an equivalent with anyone else, on par with them from any other profession. Yeah, Alexis, I have to thank you for your time today. The CFRE certification, absolutely important for fundraisers. Make sure you get those letters after your name to show you know what you're doing. Alexis Alm has been our guest, CEO at Shore Community Services. Thank you for being with us today on Impactability. Okay, thanks so much, Joe, and everyone can go to CFRE.org to get more information. Time once again for another edition of Coach's Corner. You ask the questions and our coaches give you the answers. And the only catch, of course, five minutes is the only time frame they have in which to answer your question. And we're taking a lot of our questions from Planet Philanthropy 2022. Our microphone was there. A lot of people walked up to give us their questions. And this one we got from Gloria Luna Mormon, who works for RCMA. And her question was, how does a large nonprofit that is mostly government funded develop its fundraising team? Great question, and to answer that question is Cheryl Sukup, president of Sukup Strategic Solutions. Cheryl, you have five minutes as our impact coach to answer the question, and your five minutes begins right now. Thank you, Joe, and thank you, Gloria, for the question. So developing your fundraising team, whether your organization is government-funded or not, your fundraising team really begins with your board of directors. So a board of an organization that has been relying on mostly government funding for a long time may not be used to fundraising or participating fully in your fundraising activities. So I would suggest that you start with them. Board members play a very special role in your fundraising effort. Discerning donors are going to be looking for really strong leadership, and as leaders, they are the ones who inspire trust among donors in your organization, as well as the CEO. So the CEO or executive director also needs to be somebody that donors can look to with trust and feel like when they give a gift to the organization that that contribution is going to be used well to accomplish the mission and that if they specify that a donation is to be used in a particular way that that is going to actually happen and take place. 
They also, as you know, want to be informed again about the impact those contributions are making in the organization. So board members can contribute to the fundraising effort in so many ways. And I know we've talked a lot about this on on this podcast, but if you're going to be developing a fundraising team, you really want to start with your board of directors. They should be speaking with a unified voice and they should provide a consistent message. While their messaging may be uniquely tailored to each board member's personal experience with the nonprofit, they should all be kind of marching from the same drum. So that's one thing that the development team who are on the staff can help board members do. Help You can provide them with some key messages that they can follow and then work with them to identify special experiences that they've had that they can use to demonstrate how the mission is playing out in action and how they have been connected to it in their lives and why it inspires them to serve in a leadership role. I think the other big thing that board members can do to help the development team or help with moving towards more philanthropy is to create policies, plans, and budgets that support fundraising success. So for instance, strategic planning is critically important, and part of strategic planning should be how are you going to raise money through philanthropy. So having a strategic fundraising plan that plugs into the overall strategic plan will help you with your fundraising effort. The board is also responsible for budgeting resources that are dedicated to fundraising. So obviously, if you're going to be taking on a lot of development activities, you're going to need staff that are dedicated to development. So making sure that you have the appropriate staff to do the work that needs to be done, that's critically important and you have to budget for that. But also technology. Um, A lot of organizations are reluctant to spend money on technology for fundraising because it goes to overhead. And this idea that you should minimize the amount that you're spending on overhead can make some boards reluctant because they really want to see as high a percentage as possible going to programs. But Today's fundraising is really highly energized and charged by the use of technology. And if you're not using it, you should be looking at how you can be using it. And that takes money. So the other things that you should be looking at budgeting for are training and coaching. If you are struggling to hire people, you might need to do some training and coaching to help them become competent in some of the work, the development work that needs to be done that somebody else previously did. So making sure that you have enough funding in your budget to properly train and support your staff on the development team. Uh, The other thing I think is so important, and this is really a combination of leadership from the board of directors and from the CEO, but that is to create a fundraising culture within your organization. Every person in the organization is on the fundraising team, whether it be frontline program workers or people in the administrative office or people on the development team. So helping every person in the organization understand the special role that they can play and helping donors to feel comfortable within the organization, to take tours, to experience the mission in action and to understand the impact of their gifts. All of that is work that many people in the organization can support each other in doing. It's not just the development team, it's really everyone on your team. So five minutes is really not enough time to talk about all of this, but that's a little bit of a snapshot of how you develop your fundraising team. And we're happy to talk to you about this more. Contact us at Sukup Strategic Solutions, and we'll be happy to give you more information. Maybe, Joe, we should make this a whole episode sometime. 
Definitely, Cheryl. That's where we get a lot of great ideas for future podcasts from the questions that our listeners send us. So keep sending in those questions, impact coaches at impactability.net. So thank you, Gloria, for sending in your question. And thank you, Cheryl, for being our coach today on Coach's Corner. You're welcome, Joe. If you've got a question for Coach's Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.